Hey listeners, we just wanted to acknowledge that we pre-recorded this episode a couple of weeks ago before the protests and uprisings of the past week. So it doesn't specifically comment on what's happening right now, but we still feel like the themes of it are very relevant. And remember, stay safe and be brave out there. Welcome to Our Opinions Are Correct, a podcast about the meaning of science fiction. I'm Charlie Jane Anders, a science fiction writer who thinks rather a lot about science. And I'm Annalie Newitz. I'm a science journalist who writes science fiction. Today, we're going to be talking about the limits of escapism. Escapism is amazing and fun, and it's kind of really important right now because there's a lot to escape from in the real world. But what is escapism? And is it always healthy? And how dark can a story get before it's not really an escapist story anymore? So obviously the first question, and this is always the thorniest question, is what exactly is it? What is escapism? What are what are the ingredients in it? What what comes to mind for you, Charlie Jane? Yeah, I mean, obviously escapism, just like everything else, is kind of a know it when you see it kind of thing. It's like everybody has their own definition of what they consider an escapist story. And to some extent, I guess you could say all narratives have some escapism to them because they're all stuff that didn't happen. But I think that a really escapist story is one that lets you get away from the real world a little bit, which means I think that, you know, most of the time it has a world that's not the same as our world. It could be have elements of our world. It could be like Harry Potter takes place in our world, but there's magic and there's Hogwarts and there's like flying trains and shit. Mm -hmm. It's kind of another world. It's It's a bit of a portal fantasy. Yeah, and often we sort of think of escapist stories as being somewhat optimistic, somewhat happy, somewhat cheerful. Often in an escapist story, good people are rewarded, bad people suffer, and maybe bad people do well for a while, but in the end, they get what's coming to them. And, you know, there's a sense in which part of what's escapist about it is that there's a little bit more justice than you might actually find in reality. And, you know, often that extends to there being at least a qualified happy ending, if not like a completely like everything's perfect now happy ending where like order has been restored or justice has been asserted or some injustice has been fixed. Something has been better. And, you know, often an escapist story does include like a general sense that we can make a difference. We can make things better. You are not powerless. You are able to affect change. And it's possible to actually go out there and go on a quest or, you know, fight evil and actually accomplish something. And I think the other key ingredient of an escapist story is that it's a world that you want to spend time in. And it's, you know, it's a setting that you actually want to escape into. One of the things I always think about as being a classic ending to an escapist story is the first Star Wars flick where everybody, except for the Wookiee, gets a medal at the end. (laughs) But, um, you know, or like there's video games that in the same way, like, you know, you get the princess at the end or like there's actually some moment of like you leveled up or like you got XP or like you won the prize and like in a better world, like Chewbacca would get a prize too. Well, okay, but also Leia should get a freaking medal. Like, she doesn't get a medal. She gives medals. She doesn't get medals. 
Anyway, sorry, go on. Th- this is the like the sidebar about, you know, who actually gets to to escape, right, in these stories because, right. you know, one of the things that we've been trying to repair in science fiction um, you know, of the past decade is actually giving escapist stories to women and people of color and, you know, people who are normally not given the medal at the mm-hmm. end. But these are all people who need escapist stories just as much as, you know, the traditional reader or watcher of science fiction, which is a straight white dude. That kind of brings me to another kind of footnote to what you're saying, which is that escapism varies depending on who you are. And Mm -hmm. there's some escapist stories that might work incredibly well for one type of person, but not work for another one. In fact, they might even be triggery for someone Mm -hmm. else. And I was thinking a lot about the Murderbot series of uh, novellas, and now there's a novel um, by Martha Wells, which people really love that series. They really treat it like crack fic, um, which mm-hmm. I think is really just a, another term for escapist stories. And there's a lot of violence and sadness and death in, um, and I, that's not really a spoiler. I, it's just, it's part of the story mm-hmm. in the Murderbot series. And I feel like for some people, that might be still really escapist. I think for other people, it might be too much. It might be too scary. It might not feel safe. And it reminds me of when we had our episode about romance, and we were talking about how in a romance novel or a romance movie, there's a kind of implicit bargain that the creator makes with the reader or the audience, which is you will get a happy ending. Like these two characters or four characters or whoever's going to be in the romance right. gets together at the end and they and there will be some hope. Alyssa Cole was saying there has to be some hope that there's a future to their relationship, right? It's not like they're just getting together and everybody's like, oh my God, they're never going to make it. You know, there has to be some genuine sense that like as sort of like the way justice will be done in in a kind of, you know, Star Wars context in a romance context, it's that the marriage will last or the, the couple will last. And so I think a good escapist story has to meet the needs of that audience and also makes this kind of bargain with you that there will be, you know, you, you'll come out of the story, you know, feeling happy about where Murderbot wound up, which I did. And I think a lot of us did. But you know what I'm saying? It's like, it, oh, there yeah. has to be some some sense of like, it's not going to end with like invasion of the body snatchers. Everybody's dead. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, no, classic, it, it, classic escapist story in the sense that it's not really happening, but <laughs> it's yeah. also a classic, not escapist in that, you know, you're doomed. <laughs> so. You wouldn't want to spend time in that world, especially by the end. And actually we've got a clip from the promo that they put out in 2005 when they were relaunching Doctor Who, where part of the selling point is that it's going to be scary and dangerous. Do you want to come with me? Because if you do, then I should warn you. Because if you do, then I should warn you. You're going to see all sorts of things. All sorts of things. Ghosts from the past. Aliens from the future. The day the Earth died in a ball of flame. It won't be quiet, it won't be safe, and it won't be calm. But I'll tell you what it will be. But I'll tell you what it will be. A trip of a lifetime. 
you know, first of all, it's this charismatic dude being like, come with me on this trip. But also in the end, he's like, well, it's going to be scary and dangerous, but it'll be the trip of a lifetime. And that's kind of the thing is like, yeah, there'll be bad stuff. There'll be monsters. There'll be ghosts. The world will be destroyed, blah, blah, blah. But it'll be this amazing adventure. And that's the selling point, kind of. Again, it, it goes back to that bargain that, that the story creators are making with the audience that, you know, it's may, maybe there'll be tough bits, but like in the end, everybody gets a medal. <laughs> you know, right. we're going to come out of this because, you know, it's that kind of story. But you were saying, you know, these are our worlds that people want to spend time in. And, you know, some escapist stories... I, I'm not sure that's the case. It's not always like a happy fairyland or sometimes, you know, like you get to Fillory, for example, in The Magicians uh-huh. and you find out like, oh, everybody wants to spend time here because like, isn't there like cocaine in the air or something or like, oh, really? There's some I don't kind remember of, that. Yeah. It, at least in the TV series, they figure out that there's just this tiny little bit of might not be coke it might be some other narcotic but there's just a little bit of narcotic in the air so everybody's like really enjoying themselves um, a little bit more than they would normally um and so you know there's there's these little hints although i would say that the magicians is a great example of a story that it has elements of escapism but also isn't really that escapist like it's actually there's no you know, for those who've kind of seen the whole arc of the series, it's not exactly medals at the end for everybody. No. And I think actually The Magicians is an interesting example of something that has been a big deal in the past like 10, 15 years, which is stories that kind of just deconstruct these escapist narratives. Like The Magicians is sort of explicitly deconstructing the Narnia books and also Harry Potter and kind of looking at mm-hmm. like, you know, the cracks and the underbelly and what would, what would we be like if like really complicated people with like fucked up psyches were in this situation instead of these kind of like one dimensional kind of happy characters that you get in the, in the original source material. The cracks in the crack fic. <laughs> right, exactly. And I think that, you know, <laughs> the thing that happens when you kind of do that for long enough where you kind of poke at the underbelly of these escapist stories or kind of deconstruct them is that you end up being reminded of why they're so potent and why that original impulse to just escape into something that is maybe not perfect and maybe not like pure candy, but has that kind of like, you know, there's going to be a happy ending. You know that it's going to be in some ways a better, nicer world than ours. That impulse kind of comes through even stronger once you've kind of poked it and kind of deconstructed it. And, you know, and I feel like you've had that in Mm -hmm. superhero comics. You've had that in a lot of recent reboots of like older TV and movies, you kind of have an attempt to kind of problematize it. But in the end, the thing that still keeps it irresistible is that escapist impulse that drew us to it in the first place. So what are some of the common settings for escapist stories? Because I think we have a whole history of escapist stories. I mean, you could say, you know, going back to fairy tales or or Mm -hmm. oral histories that have heroes. But I'm thinking, let's cut ourselves off at like sort of starting in the 20th century. What are in sci-fi and fantasy, where do we go again and again for our escapes? I mean, I think Narnia, which we talked about, is one. I think Middle Earth is one. At least the Shire in Middle Earth. (laughs) But I mean, I think Middle Earth in general, when you go to Mordor, it's really scary and bad, but you're with your friends and there's nice elves 
And there's like Gandalf. There's not really Gandalf. elves in, I don't think in Mordor there's elves. I'm okay, not but, crazy you know. about Gondor either. I, I, yeah, I don't know. Okay, well, <laughs> but Gandalf is there and he dies, but he comes back. Sorry, spoilers. I think that there are certain genres. Like I think some of these works that we're talking about are so big that they give rise to their own genres. Like Lord of the Rings yeah. basically created the epic fantasy genre. And I think epic fantasy has escapism kind of baked into it. And obviously, again, mm-hmm. people have tried to problematize that and kind of, you know, deconstruct it. But at the same time, I think the foundations of epic fantasy, uh, and you and I just binged the first season of Sword of Shannara or the Shannara Chronicles or, or I guess. And, you know, yeah. you can just see how <laughs> Shannara. <genre, laughs> yeah, you can just see how that. Sorry. That, that genre of epic fantasy is kind of inherently escapist. And even when George R. R. Martin tries to kind of make it dark and gritty and stuff, there's still this thing of like, you can be Arya Stark and like start off as like, you know, kind of a princess, but then also become a badass and learn to become a sword fighter and become an assassin. And it's like, you know, there's a lot of like fun adventure in there. That's like exciting. And I think space opera as well. I think a lot of these like sort of genres that sprung up in the mid ish 20th century are kind of the cornerstones of escapism in a lot of ways. I mean, these are actually early 20th century, right? Because princess of Mars, which is Mm -hmm. kind of both right. Princess of Mars is like the common ancestor of middle earth and space opera. I think because it's a, a kind of a fantasy setting on another world and it has magic and it has nobility but it also has you know actually going to mars which is pretty badass when you think about it going to a mars full of naked people yeah naked martians i guess that was you know back in the teens a hundred years ago it was a big deal um you know i mean the mars rover is <laughs> we, naked, we still so. kind of love it yeah, the Mars rover is naked. And if, so, you know, the only I people on Mars are naked right now. So come on. I am down with that interpretation. Um, that is a hot take that I will fully endorse. Um, so I think so. OK, so we've, so we've we've identified two escapist genres, two two sort of settings like high fantasy and space opera, which do share a lot in common. They are settings for adventures. They're perfect settings for um, groups of people to come together in fellowship or in mm-hmm. um, some kind of quest. That's another, for me, a key setting. And maybe we'll talk about this more a little bit later when we talk about characters. But an escapist story that isn't a romance really has to be kind of a a workplace romance where it's not it's sort of a workplace family story where it's Mm -hmm. not about two people falling in love. It's about a group of people learning to trust each other or continuing to trust each other. And that's part of the escapism is this is this idea of like, it's not just that you found the one for you, it's that you found a community. Mm. And that that each of the people in that community have their own skills and they can all help you kind of bring justice and rebuild the world. You know, as you were saying, like you really, it's really hard to bring justice and rebuild the world on your own. And it's really hard to do it if you're just in a couple. But certainly with a group of people, you kind of have the makings of, of a new world, even if it's only five people, especially if they represent much larger groups back home or wherever they've come from. It's interesting because superhero stories are kind of another key escapist genre. You know, every superhero has his or her or their kind of like 
gang around them, their community, and then they team up. And like, we just literally were watching Crisis on Earth X, the team up. Yes. It's like Arrow and the Flash and Legends of Tomorrow. And what happens is you have like all of the Arrow's friends are hanging out with the Flash's friends and hanging out with the members of the Legends of Tomorrow. And it's like this whole extended family of like superhero people who are all just like, being super like, hey, what's how does your superhero thing work? This is how my superhero thing works. And it's all just like this big happy thing. And then, you know. And the arc of that, it's like three episodes that all cross over. It, it ends with a group wedding, right? It so it does. Which is really Spoiler. interesting because it kind of goes back to that like which genre promises the most happy ending? It's romance. And so when you mm-hmm. really want to bring it home and have the happy escapist ending, you've got romance and you've got, it's a group marriage. So it's like the group getting everybody together. Marries everybody. Everybody, everybody marries ends everybody. Up married to everybody. It's, it's all, they're just going to be all like living <laughs> in a group house being like a calling. We were cool. fantasizing about that when we I watched it last night. We were know, like, yeah, they're all, it's just, they're going to have a big giant bed. All four of them are in there. Like <laughs> The Flash, Arrow, Felicity, Iris, they're all just going to hang out. You know, it's going to be awesome. I, yeah. Come on. The so, Flash and Arrow. They, they, they are need to get so together. In love. They're so they in love are. With each other. Yeah. Barry and Ollie. Oh my God, they're so in love. So we have another <laughs> clip that I wanted to play that I feel like yeah. this clip is the purest escapist thing I have ever heard in my entire life. Excuse me. Do you know what time it is? 11:30. Actually, it's adventure time. Yeah. What time is it? What time is it? What time is it? What time is it? What? What time is it? What? Come on, tell me what time is it? What? So that was another promo, and that was the promo that launched Adventure Time. And I don't know if you remember seeing that when it before Adventure Time was even on television. It was just like you could tell that this was going to be something special. And that little kid being like, "It's Adventure Time!" in this like crowded area full of like people who are like, "What the hell is going on?" Mm-hmm. It just you want to go on that adventure with this kid and like have like vampires and like you know the Ice King and all this other stuff. And Rainicorns. And it's just, it kind of, even now, I get like goosebumps listening to that, you know? I get the same goosebumps listening to the doctor saying like, we're going to have an awesome, we're going to have a trip of a lifetime. You know, because I mean, for me, the doctor is like the ultimate escape, even when it gets tough. Like I can always depend on the doctor to like have evidence-based fun. And that's... And I think this is exactly the same kind of hail to the audience, which is, hey, come with me. We're going to have fun. And um, it's and again, very that's, similar, yeah. that's the call to escapism. And I think, um, you know, what we're finding here as we talk about this is that there is actually a kind of structure to it and a, and a way that um, we, you know, the a way that we are signaling that a narrative is going to be like this. And I guess like this brings me to questions about the limits of escapism. And the Mm -hmm. first one is that there's a lot of science fiction, like say the Hunger Games or the Mad Max series, um, or, you know, name your favorite post-apocalypse could even be like the Lost series, which is basically a small scale kind of apocalypse where there's an escapist element, but the world is really bleak. And part of the escapism is almost like a Grand Theft Auto type thing where it's just like, yeah, we can kill whoever we want, especially in Mm -hmm. like Mad Max and Hunger Games where it's like they literally have permission to kill. 
And, and zombie stories. Zombie stories where you have kind of permission to just like rake people with, you know, your semi-automatic zombie killer weapon of choice. Stories like Independence Day or anything where you have evil aliens that are quite mm-hmm. recognizable and we can murder them all. To me, that feels like it's kind of touching on our urge for escapism. But the difference is that in those kinds of stories, it, there's a wish fulfillment. But mm-hmm. the way I think about it is that escapism, for me, that promise of adventure is sort of a promise that my suffering in this world will be lifted a little bit. Like I, I will be able to put down the burden of being scared about getting a virus that will kill me or losing my job. I think with something like Fury Road, it's actually, instead of lifting that burden, it's actually kind of like somebody's taking their thumb and like punching my button (laughs) of fear, you know, like you're going to not only lose your job, you're going to have to like become a milkmaid or like you're going to be a slave and blah. So it's calling out to me in a really, there's a different hail, (laughs) a different call Two things about that. One is that I think it comes back to that thing of who is this escapist for? Because if right. you're the the guy who gets to come rescue the women who are being imprisoned and, you know, abused. Well, that's Furiosa, but yeah. So if you're well, the lady. Furiosa, it's Furiosa, but also it's Max. It's both of them, I guess. Sure, yeah, whatever. Furiosa. It's like you can fantasize about being the liberator or you can fantasize about the, being the people who need liberation. And obviously there's things like, you know, Handmaid's Tale, where it's really intense and and super bleak. And Mm -hmm. I don't know. I think that the other thing is, I think that there is a difference between wish fulfillment and escapism. I think that they frequently overlap a lot. Like a lot of the best escapist stories have a huge, huge element of wish fulfillment. Like, oh, yeah, here's a magic sword. Here's like, oh, your dad is the greatest warrior in the galaxy and you're, you know, heir to his whatever, which is what the original Star Wars said before we found out who his dad actually was. Wish fulfillment without, you know, those kind of escapist things is just pure id. It's pure just like, I can do whatever the fuck I want. I can be Mm -hmm. powerful in a world where nothing matters and where everything is terrible. And it gets back to what we talked about in our rugged individualism episode, where it's like, that's the kind of fantasy of being really powerful and not having to give a shit kind of. And that's kind of the the rugged individualist fantasy, as opposed to becoming the, like, hey. the Punisher. Yeah, the Punisher, exactly. God, which is not escapist to me. I think the way I would frame it is that when I'm watching something like Mad Max Fury Road, it isn't escapist, but it gives me it's a revenge fantasy that gives me a feeling of satisfaction, which is different from ha- that that feeling that escapism gives of, like I said, it's almost like a physical lightning. Like I go into this fantasy world and I feel unburdened. You know, I feel like, mm-hmm. okay, here we are. There's magic, there's elves, there's a quest, there's loyal friends, there's a darkness that's comprehensible and has boundaries and can be defeated. And then I get a medal at the end, you know, (laughs) (laughs) give me that medal. You really want that medal. Clearly I do. Like there's obviously something going on there um, that we we can talk about (laughs) offline. Um, (laughs) So, (laughs) 
But whereas like the feeling in Mad Max for me is like, yeah, get him. And like it's and like punch him in the face or whatever. And it's a different. It's not an unburdening. It's more of a release of of rage and anxiety. And so it is a release and it is a satisfaction, but it doesn't. I don't feel lighter for lack of a better term. So we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to talk about guilty pleasures and just how dark escapist stories can actually get. So first of all, I wanted to play an amazing clip from a 1968 documentary that the BBC did about J.R.R. Tolkien, where he talks about how his work is escapist. Well, it is meant to be escapist, because I I use escapism in its proper sense. There was a man getting out of prison. Yeah, and obviously that clip was the inspiration for a thing that Ursula K. Le Guin wrote later about how she kind of elaborated on that idea that like the duty of the prisoner is to escape and to help others escape. And that escapist storytellings are actually kind of, they're actually liberatory. They're not just kind of like abandoning all responsibility or whatever. Yeah, that's right. And I think, you know, part of her updating of it um, is just historical context, because I'm sure that what J.R.R. Tolkien was thinking about was being in war and, you oh, know, yeah. the horror of that and like how the greatest escape he could possibly imagine is getting out of a cage. Whereas for Le Guin, you know, growing up in the post-war period for her, it was like, OK, yeah, get out of the cage, but also help everyone else. You know, like, mm-hmm. let's form let's form a civil rights movement or something like that. So she was just had a very different perspective on what escape meant, partly because of her own privilege of not having had to fight in a war. And so I think it's such an interesting framing of escapism because I feel like escapism is kind of people look down on it as a they as do. a format. You know, it's really I think that's why guilty pleasure is kind of synonymous with escapism. Like we're supposed yes. to feel bad that we want to go to Shannara and like <laughs> just hang out with whatever Will and, and <laughs> yeah i'm like actually, who do i want to hang out with in Shinara? i'm just not sure but anyway i want to hang out in the, i want to hang out with Eritrea. i want to hang out in the the fields you know like the green fields <laughs> yeah so we have another clip from that same 1968 documentary about tolkien which i love this so much it's a man with a very impressive mustache explaining why he disapproves of tolkien's work no i don't at all like tolkien or what he stands for it seems to me that his work implies an escape from political and social reality. Now, uh, this seems, it seems to me is reprehensible. Uh, it's an implication of triviality. It's an implication of regression, a refusal to uh, face up to our political and social problems, our religious problems of today. And it, the cult of the Hobbit, uh, the cult of Tolkien in America particularly, seems to be responding to this uh, sort of failure in engagement with our political and social situation. And he kind of sums up there the, the objections to escapism in general, the idea that it's abandoning the struggle, that we have real life political problems in this country. We have religious strife. We have all sorts of issues. And we're just going to like throw it all away and like go off and be with some elves. And it's really just not on. It's not on. That is just not how it's done. Not. We need some nice, rigorous realism and literature. 
Right. Um, <laughs> right. If you're not reading Thomas Pynchon or Joseph Conrad, you're I think Joseph Conrad would have been this guy's jam, probably. Yeah. Yeah. Although I have to say, I freaking, I love Joseph Conrad. He's like one of my huge influences. He's deep in my heart. And he wrote incredibly escapist stuff. Like he actually did write a lot of like high seas adventures and like, you know, even though they also had many elements of the real world. So I guess this gets to my question for you, which is, I mean, obviously we both disagree with mustache guy, but I mean, (laughs) is it possible? (laughs) I mean, we love escapism and, and I think both of us believe that it can be very, you know, engaging, like intellectually engaging, but also politically engaged. So how do you have that, that escapist world, but also have it reflect some real world issues so that it, it isn't just kind of pure 100%. I don't even know what pure 100% escape would even look like, honestly. Like, how do you have a narrative that doesn't touch on the real world? Would it just be like soft shapes? <laughs> like, <laughs> like sort of nuzzling each other? I think you could try to create an escapist narrative that doesn't have anything to do with the real world. And it would probably just be very cartoonish and very much like all of the issues in this are very abstract and very just like, I want to be bad. I want to be good. We're just going to fight. And like, you know, it would be very cartoony and, and extremely simplistic. But I think even then the world, the real world is going to creep in. I think mm-hmm. the moment you have any kind of conflict, you're dealing with some element of reality. And, you know, it's like this idea that people always bring up that like, stories shouldn't be political. But in fact, the rebuttal to that is always, every story is political. Politics are always going to find their way into stories. And I think that it's really just about, you know, how conscious you are of that going in. But I think that, you know, part of what makes something an escapist story is that is actually that you could deal with real world issues and conflicts in your life in a way that's less threatening and kind of more benign. Actually, so the thing I wanted to bring up, actually, which is, I think, interesting to consider here is The Wizard of Oz, at least the movie version, where, Mm. you know, she has these people in her real life who she has this complicated situation with, and then she goes, the the tornado picks her up and takes her to Oz, and all the people from her real life are there, but they've been transformed into kind of these more cartoony versions that she can work things out with in a way that she maybe couldn't work out with the people in her real life. And then she goes back and she's like, you were there and you were there and you were there. And I feel like that kind of you were there, you were there is in a way how escapist stories, it's a metaphor for how escapist stories deal with real life stuff. That's such a great observation because I think that that is the hallmark of a really good escapist story, right? That it actually, it takes elements of our real world and brings them into a fantasy scenario and kind of highlights those issues in a way that makes it a little bit easier to deal with them, makes it feel safer. Because obviously the great Oz is a metaphor for lots of things that were going on in L. Frank Baum's world, um, such as, you know, industrial magnates who hid behind these curtains of power and sort Mm -hmm. of pulled all the strings and controlled people by, you know, giving them drugs or by, you know, promising them awesome stuff and then turning them into slaves. Um, and so it's this kind of, you know, fake utopia of industrialization that, you know, that we see in the land of Oz um, coming from the great Oz. 
And so, um, so that was my lecture on, you know, capitalism and Wizard of Oz. That's a great way of, of kind of framing when escapism is actually offering a lot of commentary while also giving you a chance to like skip down the yellow brick road. And, and it is sort of like how, you know, we always talk about how Star Trek and other things are able to deal with really intense real world things because they remove it from the context in which it feels most kind of scary and, and pressing. And it kind of takes it into a, a different world where it's like safe to kind of deal with it because, oh, it's just aliens or whatever. Um, and, you know, I mean, to me, what's interesting is how much of escapism is about having a place that you want to escape to and how much of it is having people that you want to follow on this adventure. And I think that a good hmm. escapist story is often both. But I, I often think that like the most escapist kind of story is the portal fantasy where it's like you're in your kind of ordinary humdrum world and then a portal opens up or there's a cupboard or there's a tornado or, or there's, there's a video game box. that you play. <laughs> yeah. And aliens show up and say, you played that video game so well, come like win our war in space or whatever. You get to go away to a place where you're a hero and things are awesome and you get to kick ass. And then when you come home at the end, which you usually do in portal fantasies, you're in some way transformed and you're not, you're able to deal with the world that, that you couldn't deal with before. And mm -hmm. I actually wrote a postmodern portal fantasy novel in the late 2000s. And back then everybody was like, oh, nobody wants to read portal fantasies anymore. And there was this sense that portal fantasies were over because they'd been done to death, but also because they were just too escapist or they weren't kind of gritty enough, maybe. It was kind of the peak kind of Game of Thrones time, I guess, peak grimdark fantasy. And mm -hmm. there's been a resurgence of portal fantasies in the past like four or five years with stuff like Every Heart a Doorway by Seanan McGuire and Sarah Reese Brennan published a portal fantasy recently. It's, you know, I think that there's been kind of a resurgence of portal fantasy and there has been some deconstruction of it and some, and obviously the magicians also. But mm -hmm. at the same time, I think people are just remembering how much they love portal fantasies in general. Yeah, I think the thing about portal fantasies is that um, a little bit like Wizard of Oz, they're kind of metaphors for the act of escapism. And so when you go through the magical portal, whatever it is, and go into a new world, the narrative is like, hello, we are now going into, you know, it's kind of like, you know, the call to adventure, right? You, you kind of get a clear signal. And um, so it doesn't feel subtle. And it's if you're, you know, one of those people, one of those many people like mustache guy, who thinks that escapism is just beneath me. Um, <laughs> you know, it's you're going to kind of feel like the book or the story is like too dumb for you. Um, so instead, you want Game of Thrones, which is a secondary world. So that never winks at you and says like, here we go. It's just like, here you are, you're in a world and it's really shitty and everybody's dying and it's not very escapist at all, actually, but there are zombies and dragons and you don't, you know, and so I think that, I think that the um, turn back toward portal fantasies makes me really happy because I feel like it's, in a way, it's, it's very therapeutic to be admitting up front yeah, we want to escape. And like, that's okay. And like, that's actually important. Because when we escape to other worlds, we can re-examine ourselves in a safe place. And when we come back, we're going to be re-engaged. And we're, we're not going to stop engaging while we're gone with political problems or social problems. But we're just going to be just kind of chill about them for a little bit. We're going to we're going to decontextualize them. We're going to think about them in a different way. 
And that's going to help us when we come back to wind up here. We wanted to talk about um, how dark uh, a narrative can get before it's not escapist anymore. Um, And like Game of Thrones, for example, which I I would not characterize as particularly escapist. But um, you brought up Star Trek. And Mm -hmm. I think it's really interesting that the newer Star Trek series like Picard and Discovery, you know, they've taken a show that was like pretty much, especially during the next generation phase, it was like almost portal fantasy level. Like it was very, it's very Mm -hmm. escapist, you know, and it's gone in this other direction. So, um, I mean, what do you think about that? Do you think Star Trek is escapist anymore? I think it still is escapist because, you know, like you mentioned Picard, Picard is kind of the arc of that first season of Picard really is bringing the family together and bringing together this team of like true. cute people, including like the cute Romulan samurai guy, Elrond, uh-huh. like, you know, the and cute murderous scientist who plays a cute murderous scientist in devs also. <laughs> yeah. And like. You know, it feels by the end of the first season, it feels like, okay, we have a family and we're like, a, we're going to be a team and we're going to go on adventures. And ditto for Discovery, mm-hmm. which I feel like does have that kind of like family feeling of mm-hmm. like, you know, you have Tilly and Michael and anytime the two of them are on screen together, it's really kind of joyful. And yeah, you know, it's delightful. It's, there, There is that kind of, you know, it, do, it does get a lot darker and a lot more kind of intense and serious and there's like cannibalism and there's like scary (laughs) shit and there's like you know there's and i feel like i mean also like in picard i just want to sidebar that in picard like the federation is no longer the good guys you know and it's kind of the same thing in discovery too like and so i think to me that's i mean so okay yes we have the work family which is Mm -hmm. very escapist um, but we don't have the world anymore. I don't want to escape into that world. Like, I, why? I mean, I can live in the United States in 2020 if I want to see, you know, longstanding political institutions go bad, right? Like, why? Right. Why? Why would I escape to Picard? To I you mean, know. you know, I think the reason you you escape to Picard in particular is because Patrick Stewart is so just like lovable, and he brings so much of that to the role, and you know, and that. There's like, and like I said, there are these relationships that are really kind of beautiful in that show. But I also think, yeah, it's it's this thing where, and this is a, I think, a Hollywood thing in general, and a, and it's a thing actually in kind of big pop culture in general because it also happens in comics and books and TV and everything. Is that when you have something that's kind of a beloved, either genre or series that is kind of very escapist and very kind of happy and sugary and it takes place in a world that we really want to spend time in and be just like, and everybody gets and a medal. Ourselves and everybody gets a medal. <laughs> there's always this thing of wanting to kind of med- mess it up a little bit and muddy it up and kind of ask the difficult questions that the people who created it were never willing to ask and kind of, you know, reassert human nature to some extent. And I think that process, like I said before about portal fantasies and about the magicians and stuff, often it ends up reminding you of why the escapist thing was so pure and so crack-like in it to begin with. But I think that, you know, there is this process of kind of testing the line of like, how far can we go to mess things up before they're not just fun escapism anymore? And superhero comics, you saw that in 
you know, there was a long period of time when it was like, okay, well, if we have people getting raped, if we have like really horrible murders, if we have like, you know, atrocities happening and we kind of have to see them, are these superhero comics still the light, fun, escapist comics that we used to have? And and there was a period, I think, where superhero comics did kind of cross that line where they weren't really escapist anymore. And it, invariably they cycle back. And I think that part of what's been interesting to see recently is on the one hand, we've seen kind of a resurgence of just like pure, joyful, cartoony light sweetness and light with things like She-Ra and and Steven Universe and some other cartoons and some other live action shows too, uh, like Legends of Like Vagrant Queen. Like Vagrant Queen too. But also those things will deliberately kind of see how much darkness they can slowly introduce. And Steven Universe goes to some pretty dark places. Mm She-Ra, I just watched the promo for the final season and it goes, it's clearly going to go to some fairly dark places, but then it goes there in order to reassert hope and sweetness and light and have those things kind of come back in a way that's really emotionally satisfying, which I think is very different than just being like, we're going to delve into the darkness and never come out again. And, you know, I feel like it's it's partly how you end up. So the, the happy ending rule kind of um, overrides maybe some darkness in the middle. Like it can remain. So you you would feel like it can pretty much remain escapist as long as we end with this like reassertion of the light. You know, we finally toss the ring of power into the volcano and go back to Hobbiton and, you know, it's going to be basically okay. Yeah, and actually, spoiler alert, but I feel like it's interesting to contrast Picard with uh, the final Wolverine movie, which I guess was just called Logan, and um, Mm -hmm. to talk about, like, they're basically the same story where, like, Patrick Stewart is kind of starting to lose it a little bit. He's, you know, no longer really in control the way he used to be, and he's kind of facing the end of his life, and he has to protect this young girl who is, like, the future of everything. It's basically the same story, but Logan makes some storytelling choices along the way that are basically like, this is not going to end well for him. It's not going to end well for the other characters that you have come to love. And it's going to be kind of, you know, there's going to be hope, but it's going to be really dark and bleak. And Picard, I feel like, takes a different turn. It takes a more hopeful turn. And in the end, it doesn't, because they want to have a season two. I think that's not a spoiler. We know there's going to be a second season of Picard, even if you haven't watched the first. It makes some choices that make it possible for there to be a happier, shinier thing by the end. I mean, I think we have to agree to disagree on Picard, at least, because I don't think I I agree with you that the ending is obviously, you know, slightly hopeful, at least if by hopeful, you mean we can have another season (laughs) because the characters are all still there. I feel like there's a point at which and this is the limits of escapism, where the world building in a story becomes so grim and in some cases realistic that I may enjoy it. I may find it satisfying, but it isn't escapist for me anymore. Mm. And I think about um, a show like The Expanse, which has many escapist elements. It's a show that I really love. Um, It's super interesting and multi-layered. I wouldn't call it escapist. I would actually... I would say, in fact, when I talk to people about it and I recommend it, I say, like, this is actually like realism. Um, I mean, it's set in the future. And so obviously there's some hand waving about, you know, space travel and stuff. But it's it's dealing with politics 
as they really are and as they probably will continue to be. So for me, Picard is kind of in that territory. So that Mm. even though the characters that we like survive, which is similar to The Expanse, like generally the characters there that we've liked are surviving, it's not in a world that I'd want to be in and the world is getting even worse, you know, like, or it's not really improving or, or if it is improving, it's only incremental. And so there's not, again, I'm just going to keep picking on this thing about getting the award. There's not that sense of like ever reaching a moment where like this terrible thing has come to an end. We're handing out experience points <laughs> everybody gets one you know like everybody gets to There's go up to like coins like bing. i've you know my D character is just waiting to get to level 17 so i just keep thinking in those terms <laughs> i'm like wait okay i want to get there one day um and so I, i'm really not anywhere close i'm like at level 14 fyi so i think that to me is the limit and i, I think a happy ending isn't enough for me to feel like it's something that's escapist. I think it's a consistency in the world building, a sense that like, this is a world that has significantly changed Mm -hmm. Um, by the end, like either the world's gotten better or the world is, has been great. And we just kind of kept it great by, Mm -hmm. you know, averting some kind of disaster. So thank you so much for listening. This is Our Opinions Are Correct, and we really appreciate all of your support. If you want to support us more, we have a Patreon at patreon.com slash ouropinionsarecorrect. We also are on Twitter at OOACpod, and Facebook is Our Opinions Are Correct. And, you know, thank you so much. You can find us on where all the every place is that podcasts are found. And if you leave a review, we will love you forever. We'll come to your house and take you on a portal fantasy quest to find a golden egg. It's going to be awesome. We really And you're going to get a prize at the end. <laughs> you're going to get a freaking medal. We've got like a trunk full of medals. We level 17. Yeah, you're going to get to level 17. Exactly. And thanks so much to our incredible brilliant audio producer veronica simonetti and thanks to chris palmer to the music and thanks again to you for listening and we'll see you again in two weeks bye Bye.